0: Are you the kind of gal who isn't interested in how things used to be in the hair industry, who wants to hear from ladies who are paving their own way while making waves? Well then, She Makes Waves is for you. All right, welcome to She Makes Waves. This is the first episode of 2020. I am thrilled to be kicking off our first series titled Experts Outside the Industry. Today's guest is someone I'm so pumped to talk to, I can't even tell you. Jane Clapp is a Canadian-based mindful strength and movement coach, a trauma-informed embodied resilience expert, and a Jungian analyst in training. Jane's work really spoke to me in regards to how we work behind the chair. I know this episode is going to be jam-packed with gifts on how we can stand in all of who we are, Stop tending, befriending, placating, and playing small.
1: Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate um, being able to speak to this really special audience that you have.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. I just hairstyles have the biggest hearts out of like anyone I've ever met. And when I saw your work, I thought, you know, like we need better skills and tools to do the special work that we do. And I just feel like there's a huge gap in that work, and I I feel like that's where you come in.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you saw my hair right now, you would see how awesome it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, shout out to Emma Rose at the Cabinet Salon in Toronto, thank you. But it's my hair has been such a a big part of my identity, and I really um, have changed it so many times. And there's been such a level of intimacy and um, connection with the people that have taken care of my hair um, and have been able to really see where I'm going and reflect that in my hair and there's such a level um, when it's a really strong um, collaborative relationship there's such a level of trust that that can happen, and uh, between a stylist, a uh, colorist, and a and a client. So, it's it's a deep level of intimacy, I think, whether it's spoken about uh, um, explicitly or not. That that all of you bring to what you do, and um, and what maybe we'll get into a little bit about what happens when you touch people's heads neurobiologically as well. Um, and the transfer of un- unconscious energy when we're in that level of, of contact with people that you may or may not be able to consciously track while it's happening, but you might feel it at the end of the day when you're done seeing all of all the clients that you do in a day, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, that spoke to me.'t I, I, I can't put a finger on when it's happening, although I know that there is a correlation between the head and what I'm doing. But yeah, do you mind speaking to that? Because that that is so fascinating to me.
1: Sure. Well, I think a lot of people are very touch deprived in our culture, even if they're in an intimate relationship. And if we look back to the ways that we would um, feel a sense of belonging and safety, way back to like the paleo times, there was a certain amount of uh, grooming of each other that we would do, whether it was like nitpicking or just taking care of each other's bodies. And, and, um, if we look at the way that we used to behave in our kind of pre-industrial pre, pre, uh, I don't know what you would call us now, but there was a lot more of touching each other in tribes in ways that were, um, nurturing and and tending to each other and the head is a big place there's so many there's so many uh, receptors in the skin in our head and so um, when people go to a hairstylist or colorist when they've been touch deprived there's this kind of neurobiological reaction that can happen one of two ways some people can feel overwhelmed by that level of contact Um, and you can feel people's bodies get sometimes rigid or they shut down. And some people like me, um, who loves having her head touched, it's just this feeling of like, I could just have a nap right now. I feel so relaxed. I could just stay here all day while someone, (laughs) you know, touches my hair, whether it's, you know, whatever you're doing, I, I get color as well. Same thing. My body just goes like, oh, my God, like I'm a big sponge waiting to have that level of, of care. Because if you think of, like, uh, parents, maybe particularly in a more gender binary way, mothers who do more of the tending to fingernails, to hair, to, you know, washing bodies, all those things can bring up a lot of old and sometimes a, like, um, Starved parts of ourselves, and and that can actually lead to a lot of intimate conversations that that people don't see coming, or um, people sometimes take advantage of you, a stylist, as a captive audience, especially if they're not seeing a psychotherapist, to sort of drop it on you, right?
0: Yeah, yeah that that really speaks to me because I don't think. You can like sometimes people know that that they're gonna share what they share, and it's like it just naturally kind of evolves into into this space and I totally get the idea of like you're kind- of, we're like kind of caring for people, and like it brings things up. I never thought of it like that,
1: oh yeah, there's like physical touch is such a huge part of um. Safe physical touch, especially for people who have experienced traumatic events, um, especially relational or any type of physical violence um, or even emotional violence, the safe physical touch that people get in that kind of contained relationship of, of stylist and client can be quite profound. Like that's why some people say getting their hair blown out, for example, is like going for therapy. It's not just the talking, it's, it's the contact, it's the physical proximity to someone. It's the, um, the explicit agreement of someone's doing something caring for me that makes me feel good. And, and that can be kind of set you up for like a quasi, um, psychotherapeutic relationship. The problem is if people aren't getting support in psychotherapy or counseling, then it it ends up becoming a a not necessarily productive conversation with a hairstylist. yeah,
0: I know i've I've definitely felt that, and there there are times where I start to dread seeing someone that I know is not getting help beyond the like coming in to see me because I yeah. feel like it and then like right away the first thing they say is like. I've been so excited to get back in here and talk to you. And it's, it starts to feel like a grind. Like I, it doesn't, I like to feel like I'm having an impact on people, but then it starts to feel like almost too much responsibility or it starts to feel like a total huge weight on me or a drain when I feel yeah. like people are coming in to cause they want something from me beyond the hair. I feel like when it evolves really naturally into that and then like, you know, it's kind of reciprocal and like, it feels good, but there are certain instances where it feels really bad.
1: Yeah. And you know, Lindsay, I can even hear it in your voice, that, that level of like, uh, um, that level of, I don't know how to say it. It's not even stress. It's just like, how could I say? It's like the weight, you feel the weight in your body. Yeah. It feels heavy in your chest.
0: Yeah. And then it, it stops being, and I, and i said this from the beginning of doing hair that what got me into it isn't, isn't at all what it ended up being. So like I do love what got me into doing hair was the artistry. And then mm-hmm. when I started doing it, it became the relationships and I loved that for a while. And I, then, then I started to realize how much it, it took from me and then it's been kind of a recalibrating of how I show up and how I Uh, contribute to creating these kind of spaces and being more mindful of the space that I create for people if that Mm. makes sense
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say like one of the key pieces of advice I would have for stylists is um, Mm -hmm. it's called the rescuer dynamic where someone is sharing something with you it's big, it's draining, you know that they're under supported, under resourced to help themselves. It can be really tempting to jump in and want to help them problem solve or rescue them from their pain. Or there's a way of being present with those things that are are naturally going to come up in ways you don't expect that don't involve you having to do more than just hold space.
0: Yeah, because space is is valuable and my therapist has said, like, Lindsay, doing great hair and and being someone that people can that listens to people, it's enough. And that has been really helpful.
1: And that holding space really comes in through um, I would say, embodied mindfulness practice as you're working. So instead of compartmentalizing your day where some folks will think about, well, I'm gonna do you know I'm going to do my meditation practice in the evening or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to get a break a lot of people don't um it's hard work but to notice what's going on in your breath in your body while you're work with certain people and to start noticing when you do feel that level of like dread um start grounding in your own body, start noticing if you're breathing, one of the best things to do is just go to nose breathing, and to notice your posture, how different people affect you physically and still try to create this like home base in your body of your, of your own home, your own awareness, so you don't get swept away into other people's um, pain, or emotional dysregulation, or it's it's just a way to gently hold like an energetic boundary with people so that they're not they're not just like passing something to you to carry and then they're waiting for advice or your opinion about things that they're not even going to really hear or take in anyway.
0: Yeah, and how do you think you could shift for a lot of us? I know over the years it's you've gotten into this role as the the person that gives advice or the person that that is, you know, they're waiting for you to respond. How would you recommend someone start to shift that into more of just the holding space?
1: Um, That's a tricky question because it it is so contextual. It it depends on the conversation and the client for sure. But if we think of holding space more as just active listening and reflecting, um, it can just simply be like, wow, that sounds like it's really hard for you. That sounds hard, or that sounds painful, or just like wow, wow, you know, like words and conversation and and language that shows that you've heard people. But the challenge is, this is, and it's a form of a boundary, right? When we're when we're trying to change our dynamics with clients, and we're going to stop a certain behavior, like that rescuing behavior that appeasing behavior, even though we might feel icky about getting pulled into their drama. Um, the challenge is, is, that some people, that's what they're paying for. And, and you might lose some clients in the process when you start just active listening instead of advice giving or trying to rescue them from their situation or themselves. So, so that's, I think, one of the things that stops um, people primarily self-employed from, from not doing those things because you know, some people aren't going to come back.
0: Yeah. And I think it also stops you from, you know, evolving, you know, in general, like having, having the ability to like have the conversation about raising your prices or have the conversation about your, your, your schedule changing. Like if, if you don't feel like you can shift the relationship at all, then it starts Mm -hmm. to feel like, it has to stay the same, which is something in the past I've really struggled with. And so can you talk a little bit about how, how it, the relationship and like the complexities of it, how it makes it very difficult for people to, to like, step into having those conversations because of, of the things that that person has shared with you, how it makes it hard to like veer it back into business and, and what, what, you know, kind of is actually happening because, we all feel very uncomfortable. And I think that there's probably something else going on there.
1: Well, it's, it's complex because again, because some of these conversations about money, um, aren't things that are, that started in your career as a, as a hairstylist. So they go back pretty far for, for a lot of us. Um, maybe some of us learn to walk on eggshells. Maybe some of us learn that when we uh, start to assert our needs and ask for what we want, that in the past we learned people would stonewall us, cut us off, um, that there was some penalty to pay. So I really come at that from a very self-compassionate place. One of the hardest things, I think, is to think, is to consider, like, in intimate relationships, for example, um, like the relationship people are in with their clients in in the hair industry, is intimacy requires, healthy intimacy requires boundaries, meaning being very clear about um, the terms of a relationship allows the intimacy to be healthier. So it helps people feel like you are actually like grounded, can take care of yourself, are clear. When people feel, um, when we're around people who feel fuzzy, meaning like fuzzy and uh, lacking in, in clear boundaries, it can make other people feel um, a little fuzzy as well. So I think of it like, I love, for example, I have a 16-year-old daughter. I love her, to, like I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, our ability to stay close and connected really comes from the clarity in boundaries I have with her. And I don't think it's any different when we're clear about money with people um, mm-hmm. in some ways as well. So, you know, you're going to increase your rates at some point. It's a matter-of-fact conversation. And I think I've been in, because I, I see clients one-on-one as well, and it's a different industry, but I've gotten very close with a lot of my clients. I hear a lot of things about their lives that are that could impact my, my capacity to feel like I'm asking for more from them in terms of, of payment. And I have lost people. When I, when I have raised my rights. And then the, the people who are in a healthier place to be in uh, a working relationship with me do come and walk through the door. So um, I think the, the fawn response, which some people refer to as a fawn response, is that like playing small to feel safe is something that's deeply held in a lot of our bodies and it shows up directly in our relationship with money. Um, and so it's hard, but it's like, well, what are you going to (laughs) do? Like inflation is always increasing. Overhead is always increasing. If you're renting a chair, that's always increasing. So what are you going to do? Like you just have to kind of, I hate to say it, but like suck it up and deal with the discomfort of it because it only gets easier when you do it.
0: That's totally what has happened for me. And I totally clicked with the, the fuzzy boundary and how it actually isn't healthy to to not be able to have those kind of conversations. and And in the years as I've gotten to be healthier, I've been able to feel more comfortable in the discomfort. And mm-hmm. I do find that I do feel as close with my clients, but I think that I had a lot of intimacy with people that wasn't healthy previous to that. Yeah.
1: And you know what? Like I feel like we can actually test the health of a, a relationship, working relationship, or connection with a client based on how they react to us taking better care of ourselves. Because for me, like I know in some salons there might be a real customer service focus, meaning the customer's always right, da 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 I uh I wouldn't say where I go is that way. They have very clear boundaries. You you like they're very they have a no absolutely zero tolerance for no shows. They will charge you if you miss your appointment um and put a a cred, like a an amount owing on your account the next time you're in. They're very very clear. And um but I feel even more confident in their level of professionalism because of that. I respect that. So it's sort of like when you start taking better care of yourself, the way people around you react to that will tell you whether or not it's a healthy ongoing relationship for you to be in, whether it's a a partner, like an intimate partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, or other, or a client. I mean, that's so cool. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and like so when you do have the occasional person that that is not on board my uh, tendency is to be like I want to cut you out. Is it is it something where you would recommend like if the person continues to pay the price but is kind of um irked by it like is that is that just personal preference in your opinion as to like what you're going to tolerate?
1: Well, it depends what being irked looks like. If they're yeah. being if they're being disrespectful um and unappreciative and leave unhappy when when they come in, they don't leave happy, like, thanks so much, I love my hair. If they don't do that, then I mean, how do you cut them off? Like I don't how would you have that conversation with them, Lindsay? Like, what would that look like for yeah, you? Yeah,
0: so for me what it's looked like is you know, at the end of the visit, I'll usually like, you know, one specific instance it was like, how are you feeling about your hair? And it was someone that hadn't been happy, but not unhappy. Just, I felt bad every time she left. So Uh. I said, "Um, how are you feeling about your hair? And she said, you know, I I don't know. I won't know till I get home. And I said, oh, all right. Well, you know, for this, at this stage in our relationship and the amount of times I've seen you, for you not to know at this point, it, it tends to be an indicator that I'm actually not the right fit for you.
1: Oh my God. That is so brilliant. Yeah. Do you script any of this? Do you ever script any of this for people? Cause it's brilliant.
0: Uh, you know, I should, but yes. I haven't. and yes. I, and I, then I follow it up with an email and uh. I say, you know, I've given our conversation some more thought today and it and it has become clear to me that we are not well-matched, well you know, people or whatever. And yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to actually refer you on. And that's and I've actually never had it happen out of maybe nine times in 14 years where the other person agrees that we're not a good fit. It, it, every time, it's just mm-hmm. fascinating human interactions, is every time the, the person um, is like, no, I, I want to keep seeing you. And it's, it's, I don't know. I've, I've never had a exception to that. Um, but I think it's just kind of like, you know, you want to end it and you know that you need to, and that's just what has to happen.
1: I, uh, I respect that so much. And, um, I love the, the clarity and the, the way you're being direct. I think that's great. I'm not sure that that is something that a lot of stylists feel, empowered to do especially if they're working in someone else's salon Mm -hmm. um but we have to remember too that the tone and the leadership in a salon if you aren't the salon owner really does trickle down and affect how empowered people feel to have these conversations and to be boundaried with clients Because I think, like I mentioned, if we look at these things as customer service relationships and the client is always right and it's you go into that type of salon where they, like, pamper you, and I don't like going to spaces like that personally. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean by that? To me, like, even with my clients, it's always been this is a relationship. This is a collaboration on you. And if you set that tone from the beginning – Um, instead of all the small ways where we look like we like tiptoe around people, um, I think that can be really important to start a relationship from as well. But, you know, for some folks, your hands are tied if you're at a salon that doesn't look at what you're doing as a, as a relationship. And it's more that, you know, always appeasing the customer. Yeah. And I,
0: and I've heard you say before with the tending and befriending, which I, I really connect to in, in, in the profession that I'm in, mm-hmm. you said that I, something along the lines of when it begins to dominate, we can't be our true self and it crowds out who we actually are. Yeah. So can we yeah, talk so about ten, that? Yeah.
1: Sure. Tending and befriending is like a basic human survival response that when we, um, care for other people, and we focus on building social bonds and connections, it's one of the ways that we have been able to survive as a species. Um, when it becomes an impulse over a choice and it it becomes our main like survival mechanism that helps us feel safe, it can start showing up in our personality as playing small, um, as putting everybody else's needs ahead of ours. And it starts almost to like galvanize in our relation, in our personality structure, if that makes sense. Yep. It happened to me. So I get it. You get it. And so, um, so it can be very painful. It can be very draining. It can actually, actually lead to more underlying, like resentment we have in our, in our, in our work, um, or towards specific clients. So, um, I think it can be challenging, but really finding and believing in our gifts, believing in our, our, the unique way that we each do what we do and starting to see ourselves as having something special that we each bring to the table. Cause, you know, quite frankly, every hairstylist I've been to has their own, like, unique way of approaching cuts and color and I, and, um, has a gift, has an eye most of the time that we, when we start really believing in that and grounding in the fact that we are offering something very, um, special and unique to us, even in the way we interact with people, I think we can start coming back into a bit of a sense of our own power and, and not being so dependent on everybody being happy with us all the time it's impossible
0: yeah and I think that the kind of person that is empathetic and loves caring for other people I feel and and I think for me I got into it and I love that about it but then it it became like it just took over my life as this like again it became like I saw something you had said like it ends up being like the dominant way that we engage. And I found that Mm -hmm. it didn't start out like that. I had the best of intentions, but I started Mm -hmm. to get so much of my worth and so much of who I was by showing up for other people that it was like, I can come in after I run the marathon and do your hair. And (laughs) I had, and and I would do stuff like that. And I, and I look back and I, and it has very little to do with the person. It has so much to do with me
1: yeah 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 like the I do some embodied work with clients and in my training programs where we actually practice what feeling no feels like in your body um and we practice like how does it feel when you stand when you sit or stand with a sense of dignity, how does that change your posture, how does that change um that kind of sense of strength and empowerment in your body. And then we'll we'll do some work together where we practice, like, what does no feel like when you say no? And some people feel very conflicted, even just with the, the imaginary practice of saying no. Um, it can feel very stressful. There can be a level of stress um, and anxiety that comes up in people's bodies when they think about, you know, even saying no to people, like say no to the person after your marathon, I'm running the marathon, (laughs) you know, like what, what, what is that? It's, it's something we can start tracking in our bodies and being like, why do I have such a hard time saying no? Where does that come from? How far back does that go? Was I empowered to say no as a kid? Was I allowed to be um, frustrated and, and angry as a child like what were how far back do these feelings go in my body and start seeing sometimes that the difficulty actually comes from a really younger emotional part that that lives inside of us
0: yeah I totally believe that and I think compounded on top of that is you know, you're trying to, I always have said in the past, like you're trying to close an appointment down, but then your next person's there. So it's like, yes, yes, yes. Like I I need to move on. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. like you, you can kind of get flustered with Mm -hmm. the ending of the appointment. And, and I think that, and and also not feeling empowered to say no, but then you've got Mm -hmm. the time constraints and it's just, it starts to feel like a pressure cooker. And I know that that's just an industry wide thing because of the pace of the, the work that we do, even if you book three hours for appointment, like people that do this work want to pour into people. So it's like, they're going to use that three hours. And then like that next person's inevitably going to bump up to that appointment because that's just the kind of people that do this work. And then you're trying to close it down. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can come in on my child's first birthday. And then just because you're trying to (laughs) shut, you're trying to shut it down and you like, Uh... and you're like walking them to the door and then you're trying to get to the next person. And I think it's like, I think it's just like the perfect storm for someone that's, you know, in the service industry, not empowered to say no. And then like on a time constraint,
1: I wonder, um, yes, I completely relate to the time thing. Like my Mm. life, my life is on the hour. Um, and sometimes it is hard to get clients out the door. I'm like, "Oh my gosh,
0: I tried every closing tool. I've walked oh you to God, the goodness. door yes. Yes. I need you to get up out of the chair. I need you to unplug your your charger. I don't know how to tell you that, but I need you
1: I need your charger to be unplugged, and we got to wrap it up so I think it's really important to remember that there's a lot of people who aren't that conscious right who are actually quite sometimes clueless about the their environment and what's going on around them and I feel for you like I know when I've been like watching other people in the salon I go to these days and someone is just like processing their haircut for like 10 minutes with a (laughs) stylist and I'm like oh my god like there's someone on the couch that's waiting to like come and see this person and it's so hard and I think One of the things that we have to remember is um, that can kind of be the domino effect on a lot of these behaviors is fear for our survival, like fear for our financial survival can um, make us do and behave in a lot of ways that don't feel true to ourselves. Um, Because fear for our financial survival, being able to pay our bills, etc., Can actually trigger like almost like a traumatic stress response in our bodies, and that's when we can go back to really old behaviors that um, that we don't make sense to us on a rational level. We're like, why am I doing that? Like that doesn't feel true to who I am. Well, when we fear uh, of not having enough, because I teach a lot about money and the body, it actually. almost like flips what's called our lid it flips our off our higher brain our neo-mammalian brain like our executive functioning our intellect our kind of like our boundary setter in our brain so when we're in when we're lacking time and lacking financial resources our our prefrontal cortex goes offline and our the smoke alarm part of our brain is in charge So, so the hair, the hair industry inherently is like a place for people's lids to get flipped all the time. And then you're just like, you're just putting out fires all day, especially if you're like, if you have a stacked day, and you're just chasing your tail in terms of time, you're you are not going to have access to higher thinking and higher and, and executive functioning and an ability to really observe how you're feeling. That's why I think embodied mindfulness as you're working can be a really important tool for staying grounded and regulated in your, in your stress response in your autonomic nervous system.
0: I think that's a holy shit moment. Like I'm like, that explains a hell of a lot. Right? Oh my God. I never heard it said like
1: that. And I'm like, I don't
0: have access to that. I don't. That's no, you insane. Don't.
1: <laughs> I'm glad it makes sense. Cause I mean, that's what's happening. Wow! And there's, and you know, say your first client is late and then you're behind 10 minutes for the entire day. You're inherently going to be like watching time more vigilantly. It's almost like the less time you have and the more pressed you feel for time because time is a, is a resource, the more you're going to be hypervigilant right? Boom, boom, boom. Like your, your nervous system, your stress response is like already cranked up. Then you potentially throw a really emotionally dysregulated client in the mix or someone who's not happy. And by the end of the day, your, your lid's been flipped. Um, your smoke alarm is in charge. Maybe you go out for a cigarette <laughs> who knows, right? Yeah. Just to like, whoof. It's, it's actually a neurobiological response to stress and overwhelm that is patterned into our bodies. And that's why it can feel okay to start, but then you start, like you start getting more and more physically drained in your nervous system. Your breath even changes, right? The way you breathe when, when you feel that kind of pressure changes even your breathing biomechanics. It's And then when your breathing biomechanics change, oftentimes, even if you aren't a hairstylist and using your arms to the extent you do all day, people start feeling pain in their neck and upper bodies because those muscles are doing too much breathing in your day. Then you couple on all that because I've worked with hairstylists over mm-hmm. the years as, as clients. You get that those stress breathing biomechanics happening. You have all those like lifting of the arm and twisting of the body to do what you do. And you're, by the end of the day, you're like, you're tired and you're in physical pain. So I am like, how can you become an embodied hair professional is my question. Yes. Because literally like what you just said, I know people are going to listen to this and
0: say, you just, you literally just on a, on a really hard day. That's, that's exactly how I feel.
1: I, I can only imagine how exhausting it is. Like, and
0: someone said to me the other day, you, you have to love what you're doing because there's a lot of things you could do. That would be easier. <laughs> and I said, I do, lo- I do love doing this. And I never thought of that, but son of a bitch, you're right. There's a lot of mm-hmm. things that would be easier. And I don't think anyone got into this cause they want it easy. So there, but, but I think that there needs to be like a, a game plan moving forward now that we know what we know and we've experienced what we've experienced. So like, even just a takeaway of like, and I know for me, like self-care and as, as buzzwordy as it is and working on my self-worth, like all of that is like, I don't know how you can do this job long-term without like a whole ritual system in place around you.
1: Yeah. And I think I like the idea of self-care, but too often it's compartmentalized. Like I, I train and speak at, I tr- I speak at conferences of like frontline workers who are dealing with child abuse. I speak at, I've spoken to firefighters, I've spoken, and it's this frontline, like face-to-face interaction with people on a daily basis who are Either in crisis or you are you are actually under pressure to perform all day under time constraints. Um, I I think we need to start learning that self care isn't something we do after work. That there's things that we can do while we're working Mm -hmm. that will that will help support our bodies and our nervous systems, like. I know people who work under time pressures, including even doctors I've seen or dentists, they don't drink water because they don't want to have to go pee. So one of the basic things you can start doing is like, am I drinking water? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Am I, am I hydrating? And am I actually booking time for, to eat? Because if you don't eat and you don't drink water all day, that that is going to absolutely add to the stress response in your body and a sense of overwhelm in your nervous system. That's a basic, basic thing to me. But start noticing, am I breathing through my mouth or am I breathing through my nose? If you breathe through your mouth, that's what people do when they're under stress or when they're in anxiety or panic. Close your mouth and try to breathe through your nose when you're not talking. That's another simple embodied mindfulness tool that you can use when you have people in front of you, right? Yeah. Um, how am I standing? When I don't have to be bent over or twisted or whatever it might be, how am I standing and how does my breath feel when I'm hunched over or when I feel um, like I'm standing with dignity? So the third, the other thing you can do is, am I standing with a a sense of embodied, embodied dignity, or am I standing in a way that really reflects feeling a little bit defeated or overwhelmed?
0: Yeah. And when you're kind of over people, would you recommend that people like kind of continue to check in with themselves and take their shoulders back? Cause that has more of an impact than anyone knows.
1: Yeah. I would say like, don't pinch your shoulder blades together. Cause that can cause an opposite kind of um, injury or pain. Okay. But just to notice, like, am I rounding forward? Um, is there a way for me to stand that allows my spine to be in more neutral instead of, like, forward flexion, if you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, when you bend forward and you round your spine, yeah. that, that over time is going to lead to a lot of neck and low back pain. But standing in a way that um, you're kind of hinging from your hips a little bit more can be a lot more functional movement for, for people on the daily. Um, and that's, I know, it, but that's I, a whole other conversation. But I love what you're
0: saying about how there's like ways to show up for yourself throughout the day. that that aren't these like overt, like, I've got to go to a cartwheel and I'll be back. Like, like, it's like, I can breathe through my nose. No one knows Mm -hmm. that I'm checking in with myself, being Mm -hmm. with me and like all these, and and going to get a glass of water or, you know, like, or drink from your water bottle every time you mix color, every time Mm -hmm. between clients, like it's not these overtly obvious things, but they really would have an impact.
1: Yeah. Like how can you support your body while you're working instead of thinking like self-care is a bubble bath and a glass of wine at the end of the day. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And the lunch thing is huge. Cause I started having lunch and kind of breaking my day up into two more digestible, like, like parts. So it's like, I do my first part of my day, have my lunch, walk my dog, do the second part. And like, sometimes I, you know, you're not perfect, but it's like, it does make my day feel so much more uh, reasonable. And I, and I think mm-hmm. it is that I'm eating, but also just like giving yourself a minute to like chunk it out into two.
1: Yeah. Even like a half hour that you protect and you bring lunch with you. It's sort of like if you weren't going to nourish yourself, who is?
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you're like telling the world kind of how to treat you by how you
1: treat yourself? I think you know the answer to the question, that question, Lindsay. Because
0: <laughs> that's the work that I've been doing. I'm like, if I don't feed myself, how do I, how do I expect other people to, to like, to think I'm worth, you know, coming to see? And it's like, I feel like that's like kind of the journey home that I've been taking.
1: Oh, even like if you are working in someone else's salon, like there's so many ways we project like the, what we wish people would do for us that we can't do for ourselves. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, like, if we aren't really good at nourishing ourselves, I think we can get caught up in a fantasy that someone else is going to make that easier for us.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, I feel like I really identify with the quote that's, uh, you're the one you've been waiting for, because I think the love that I wanted other people to give me, the love I wanted my clients, my husband, everyone, it's like, Lindsay, that was your job all along. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just
0: didn't know I've been outsourcing it and really, really disappointed and
1: frustrated, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I love this conversation um because I mean, we would, we need you, we need hairstylists. We need you to be well. And, um and sometimes these, when we can take better care of ourselves, like uh, in our, in the work that we do, we have these long-term, very, important, powerful relationships with people that that can be mutually nourishing. So it's it's sort of like the idea that we have to do it all ourselves isn't completely true in my mind. But because we do, when we start to feel like we deserve nourishment, when we deserve care, and we start doing it for ourselves, we break down something called nourishment barriers in us, where we actually believe we deserve it. And then we start having more of those people around us who offer it back to us. So it starts becoming this like too much healthier, two way street because we're living in a state of feeling like worthy and deserving of it. More of those people tend to like show up in our lives and become really integral for our growth and evolution.
0: Yeah, that's been a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like an awesome like way to end this episode is like that you can have this sustainable career. I think a lot of people think that this is, they start to get to the point of like feeling like they've given so much away that they're like, I have to find something else to do. But oh. I think there is a way to like rewire your system, rewire how you show up. And on the other side of a lot of hard work is, is exactly what you just said.
1: Yeah, and quite frankly, more money in the end too. It, yeah. And
0: I think that that's one point I really want to make is that I think people think when you take better care of yourself, it means that you're going to make less money and that you're, you have to pick between the two.
1: No, it's the exact opposite for me.
0: Yeah, me too. And I think that, I think that sometimes it kind of, I, I sometimes wonder if people think that because I've prioritized myself that like I've played small in my career and it's actually it's, it's actually the opposite. And I think that like, that's not a conversation I'm hearing because I feel like it's either the hustle or happiness. And, and like the hustle means you get the money and the happiness means you're happy, but you don't have any. And I think it's just, it's bullshit.
1: So the hustle, I hustle, but I have, yeah, I, I like, I like some hustle, right? Yeah. But it's, I'm not hustling with just seeing the hand in front of my face. When we're in a state of overwhelm and not taking good care of ourselves and dysregulated and drained, our hustle is basically like that single day. But I can see a longer-term projection of things when I take better care of myself, which means I'm not just chasing a buck on any given day and trying to survive on any given day. I actually see a longer-term projection of where I want to be because I'm in a better state and I'm taking, I'm doing what I need to do for myself to stay well and healthy.
0: God, I love that. I feel like we, we need to have you back on to just do like a money embodiment episode, because I think that would be insane if that's what it's called. Yeah,
1: And you know, I, do you have, are there more women listeners than men? Would you say or same same? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm all about like, I'm a feminist and I believe that one of the ways that we live out, uh, uh, coming back into our power is getting more money in women's pockets
0: oh man that is that's a whole episode
1: but right we'll, you yeah. we'll,
0: we'll have to leave people with a teaser
1: okay cool sounds great Lindsay. awesome well thank you so much for being on and where can people find you you can find me at jane claps j-a-n-e c-l-a-p-p as in clap your hands, dot com And um, I have online services, online coaching, um, embodied career coaching, webinars um, that are ongoing, a new one every month, and um, some other training programs you might be interested. But lots of other interviews and articles on my website as well, if you want to read more about me.
0: Amazing. I'm going to leave people with a quote that I loved that you posted. If you don't become the ocean, you'll be seasick every day. (laughs) thank you guys for listening thanks Lindsay bye